Welcome to the Business Herald podcast. The Business Herald is a weekly roundup of all of the top UK business news stories by email, social media, and this podcast. The podcast will feature some of the week's main stories, and we'll be joined by various business people on each episode to discuss the week's news and how it might impact a smaller business like yours. And hopefully we'll have some fun on a Friday too. I'm your host, Stephen Mather. I'm a lawyer for SMEs, and I help business owners sleep better at night by sorting their legal problems out. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for the next episode of The Business Herald. Welcome along to episode 17 of the Business Herald podcast. This week I'm joined by Gavin Bates and Mark Ford. Gavin is a chartered certified accountant and licensed insolvency practitioner with over 30 years of experience helping SME businesses both in insolvency situations and also those business owners looking to retire and exit. He used to play ultimate frisbee, which is helpful given that the Brexit negotiations look something similar. Mark is the chief editor at Your Best Kept Business Secret magazine, website and podcast. He helps small businesses like you truly get the business your hard work deserves. If you're interested, he has just opened up a couple of spaces on mastermind groups for 2021, which would urge anyone in business who wants to grow and have their best year ever to join in. Obviously, the big news this week is the ongoing Brexit negotiations, but I'm not too keen on being another Brexit show, so we're not going to talk about it too much. Except that to call them negotiations seems strange to me. It's more like kind of how do we present this to our stakeholders? The UK, it's the Middle Britons that voted for Brexit and the Tories, and in the EU, it's the other members of the bloc, and neither wants to look weak back home. No, instead, we'll talk about the important news and events that affect you and your SME business, like whether the UK recovery should be regionally targeted with local improvement funds being used to stimulate growth regionally. We'll also talk about a proposal to implement a one-off tax wealth for those with assets over £500,000. And we'll look at a suggestion to reduce VAT to zero for a week at Easter, relaxing Sunday opening hours, and whether or not that would boost the retail sector. So gentlemen, my first question this week is based upon a report from Lloyd Bank, which said, and this is a quote, we need to build on the government's levelling up agenda by introducing regionally focused strategies shaped by local voices for local economies. The plans we make as a country to promote future economic growth need to work for everyone. Coronavirus has exacerbated the regional, racial and socio-economic inequalities that existed before the crisis, but it also gives us an opportunity to address those gaps and tackle the longer-term issues facing the UK. So my question to you, gentlemen, is do you agree? Is this a better way forward than, say, massive national PFI projects that Boris Johnson has talked about investing in uh, to generate the future of the UK. Gavin, let me come to you first. What's your thoughts on local regional focus of recovery? Um, I, uh, I think that um, it, it's, it's the obvious answer, isn't it? We, we've already got the LEPs um, and whilst different LEPs are you know, good or bad in different things, I, it seems to have brought quite a good mix of business people and the local government uh, parties together um, and actually focuses down on what is needed in your local area. So, you know, if they're saying, let's put more money into the LEPs and, and you know, see what they can do with it, that would be a winner for me. Um, giving it to your local councils or even worse, maybe your local mayors, I, I wouldn't be a fan. Um, definitely but, uh, a no-go in this city. <laughs> definitely a no-go in this city. Um, 
but I suppose as always, there's got to be a mix, isn't there? You know, you can't uh, sort of sort out na national infrastructure, whether that's um, you know the green agenda or whatever, just on a local basis. But as always, a mix of the two got to be the way forward. I think. Mm. The the LEPs, interesting. The LEPs have been um, beneficiaries of massive EU. Uh, funding and you know grants and, and gains to be able to kind of you know go okay you know we've got this funding from the EU we're going to redevelop our you know waterfront for instance I know like Cardiff for instance spent a huge amount um, and it's waterfront and lots of cities around um, you know the country have used those funds and perhaps um, perhaps that's a, an opportunity for the UK and there's national investment like you say give it give it out locally yeah I wouldn't trust the council or, or um, uh, elected mayors at all to use the money because it would go somewhere else no doubt Mark what are your thoughts do you think um, I was, uh, uh, the, the quote was um, regionally focused strategies shaped by local voices for local economies what, what do you think of that um, on the whole I think the the premise of the idea is absolutely spot on I think it's long overdue um, certainly probably in the last 10, 15 years here in the UK. I think it's 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 very overdue. Um, I want to touch on something that, that Gavin that Gavin has said, and it's it, it's interesting that you, you mentioned the LEPs. I think uh, a lot of um, local stroke national um, bodies that are there to help um, businesses, I believe truly have been completely ineffectual um, over the last couple of years, especially during COVID. I think they've been very ineffectual. They've given a lot of oxygen to issues, but not one single person has come up with a solution. Um, they've, you know, they'll, they'll follow us, you know, we'll give you more money. Well, what for? There's a real lack of leadership. And it sort of like, it then ties back into what you guys were saying about, you know, who would lead this? Um, my fear would be the great and the good, uh, the people who think they are something um and and call themselves um inspirational for just tying up their shoelaces in the morning um they have no, little to no track record in doing something as big or leading something big so i think you would you would then end up with lots of quarrels and fights and voting and then it comes down to you know you know who who would lead this you know who would you would want someone not a, not a flamboyant entrepreneur, but someone you know, someone who has done something of real note in business to have a real plan, strategy, and lead, whilst not patting themselves on the back and get paid an absolute fortune. And I, th I think that's where it kind of falls down: is that we look at the government as they are at the moment. For argument's sake, we could say there's a massive lack of leadership from our government in certain directions. But on the flip side, they've gone and done some sensational things during the the uh, the lockdowns. You know, there's I, you know the companies, businesses in in World War Two never got as much financial support as businesses have during this 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 lockdown period or this or this pandemic. But what I'm saying is that if we do go to local leadership, regional leadership, who's going to step up? Who is everybody going to feel comfortable following to get the most bang for your buck, the biggest return on the investment, and really lead that region, that area, out of one of its most difficult times? And I'm not sure there's a really easy answer to that. 
<laughs> I've, mm. got, I've, got to, I've got to be honest because everybody will have different answers, different answers, but it would take real leadership to make it work. Yeah, that's um, as you're as you're talking. I'm think I was trying to think who is the uh, the the voice of you know business and particularly smaller businesses um in uh, in government and i don't i don't think there is one there's you know we, we obviously have a um secretary of state for you know trade and business but it's it's always you know tended to be a kind of um uh, an, an international role more than anything else it's going and promoting the uk externally for you know outside investment which great necessary you know it's really important that the uk is a place to invest in and particularly moving forward but do we have anybody that's actually standing up for the rights of the small business owner and saying do you know what we have organizations that do it incredibly badly um my opinion only um and uh there's, there's, there are organizations that do it but actually is there a um, you know, is it is it the priority of this government to promote the, you know the smaller um, or SME type businesses? And without somebody being a mouthpiece, I think that's probably the answer to that question is no, not really. I think there's I think there's a massive massive problem with it, um, mm. and I think it, it it reflects on what happened at the start of at the start of lockdown and and all the closures etc. You know, it would probably scare people that depending on which um, report that you look at, SMEs in, in the UK alone represent 50 to 60% of business done in this country and around the world. Yet, when we went into lockdown, the government came out with packages for businesses, which big businesses basically went, this is great, fantastic. And then it's like almost somebody whispered in Ricky's ear and went, you do realise there's a massive small business community in this country, don't you? No, really? How? Oh, right, hang on. We didn't realise there were that many small businesses in this country. And all of a sudden, it's almost like the government were, suddenly became very aware of how business is done in this country. Mm. And I think you're absolutely right, Stephen. I don't think there is somebody that stands up for small businesses in, in the country, let alone regionally. The, the MPs will say they do. But an MP actually has not a clue, not a Scooby-Doo, what actually happens in small businesses. And they don't realise, you know, we, all our pensions are tied to these big businesses. And yet look at the ones that are collapsing all over the place mm. because they're debt-ridden. You know, stock exchanges, just, everything's debt-ridden. Yet actually the thing that really keeps this country moving and are the intricate cogs in our GDP every year are small business owners they always have been and they always will be but there is no one sat there defending our corner saying actually the way out of this mess is that we need to look at those smaller businesses if those smaller businesses grow and they continue to develop and they continue to innovate actually that's the way out of our mess so I, I um, that as was you... a part of political broadcast on behalf of Mark Ford. Sorry about that, chat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there has previously been um, uh, MPs who, you know, Secretary of States were designated small business roles. I know Anna Subri was was one of them. 
Um, yeah, but Anna Subri used to be a TV host. I, yeah, well, this is this is this when, is the when thing. Was the it's last like time she ever got up at six in the morning to go and make a delivery to somebody in Northumberland. Never. Yeah, never. Small. Yeah, exactly. And so there's 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 no one there. And and I remember this is you know going back to I think um, kind of Tony Blair days. Wasn't um, Alan Sugar? He was he was on you know on board as a business advisor or something like that. Um, it's a conversation we had on a previous podcast um, uh, about MPs um, and their skill set, and the 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 allegation that was made against them was that they're generally failed business people because if they were successful business people, they would be doing business rather than being MPs. Because you know, being on an MP salary at sixty grand a year or whatever is probably likely to be less than you would be if you were in, you know doing a successful business. And so the, it always begs the question of um, how. Uh, how would we get somebody that is a successful business person to uh, to run it? The conversation we were having is whether or not we would, um, you know, we should have a prime minister that actually, um, you know, is paid a, uh, a market rate for the, if he was a CEO in a big organisation, he'd be getting five million quid a year. Um, but you know, you've got someone that's got that skill set, and I think perhaps the politics uh, in this country and because and the money that's involved in it means that it's very unlikely we'll have anybody that actually knows business and has been successful in business doing uh you know being a voice because well why would they they might as well go and earn some money being and running a business exactly it, it's, it boils down to people's reasons why mm. it simply does you know you've mentioned alan sugar and yet he'll go to small business conferences and he'll stand up on stage but the bugger's just been paid 10 grand there just to stand there for an hour and tell us to work harder, do it. He used to be a barra boy and he used to own, own Spurs and what a, what a tough life he's got going on the BBC doing a series of The Apprentice every year. You know, do you know what? That, it's, so, it's so far removed from real life that it's staggering. And then you've got some of the, the national, you've mentioned it earlier, some of the national uh, organisations that are meant to represent small businesses actually haven't got a Scooby-Doo themselves. In fact, I would actually throw at them that a majority of them went missing for the first 10 weeks of lockdown because none of them had the skill set, the forethought, or even a fraction of an idea of how to get business out of it. They didn't have a clue because all they do is give oxygen to what they consider issues. I go back to what I said earlier, they just haven't got the solutions because... Mm. They haven't got the skill set to come up with the solutions. So this is this is why I would worry about it. Mm. So kind of going back to the, the original question and Gavin's original point, what we really need to see, I think, is um, funds, if there are funds being made available, that, you know, they go through an organisation like the LEP, but that there's, there is a say um, from businesses of how that's money, that money is spent, not just views from businesses about where, you know, what kind of projects should be involved in and um, and... and you know, such like, and I think that um, that would help. I think you know, local recovery sounds like a good idea, but it's just got to be done properly and responsibly. And I think that's the perhaps the conclusion that we're reaching there. Absolutely. Otherwise, we end up with twenty million spent on cycle lanes that nobody ever uses. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, that's down to our mayor locally as well, isn't it? Steve? Right. Yeah, we, um, and we have a uh, you know a small London Eye as well that comes out twice a year. Um, <laughs> Excellent, uh, use of funds. excellent use of funds. Um, so 
second question uh, this week, um, second story that caught my eye was um, I'd actually seen it uh, last week in Argentina and they came out with a, a one-off coronavirus wealth tax where they char- um, you know, taxed people of a certain wealth. Um, and in this country, an, a report's been done with a suggestion to, uh, to Rishi Sunak to consider it. Um, and the report said, uh, it gave a, di- a couple of different options, but it suggests a one-off charge of 1% on wealth Wealth being not not income, wealth being assets. You know your house, your finances. You you know your what's in your savings, what's potentially what's in your pension, maybe. Um, and it said that if there was a one percent charge on wealth over five hundred thousand pounds, that would give a two hundred billion pounds you know um, return to the treasury. Um, there's some there were some other limits. So um, they said, for instance, if there was a two million pound limit, that would raise still raise eighty billion. So you know, it kind of obviously they want to try and you know reduce the limits down but for most people you know uh, average all over this country five hundred thousand pounds um it wouldn't be too difficult to achieve particularly you know some someone's house if they've owned a house for you know for 20 30 years it's quite likely that they might be getting to that uh, that kind of point so so gavin over to you to start with what do you think is, is a, a one-off tax to help plug the gap of coronavirus spending a good idea um well, I suppose the first thing to say is it's clear that we need to raise more tax to pay back what we've spent out. Um, that's that's obvious enough. But whether or not the wealth tax is a good idea, I, I have some reservations. And, and uh, I, I was looking up some figures earlier today. So if you set the £500,000 limit, that's apparently 17% of all people in the UK. So that's, that's nearly one in five. And that would then make that wealth tax quite um you know quite an issue for a lot of people um particularly those people who maybe have bought a house 30 40 years ago perhaps were already heading into retirement or have have already retired they're going to be asset rich but maybe not necessarily cash rich um and, and you're going to get into the all all the old-fashioned problems of you know pensioners being chucked out of their houses because they lived in you know a nice house and you know partners passed away and they've got some money from pensions etc so I, I suppose in simple terms the notion is idea and, and probably the you know we all believe that the richer you are perhaps the more you should contribute to society i don't think anybody would say that that was a bad thing it's a question of how do you actually manage that and how does the system work I, in, in my mind if there was an easy way of taxing people's wealth i'm sure a government by now would have found that way to do it and so um, you know, real question is, is it easy to do? How would it be done? How could it be collected? Mark, what do you think? What One-off uh, coronavirus tax repayment? I'd say it would be a great time to retrain as an accountant. I've got to be honest, because as soon as that's mentioned, you imagine the, how busy accountants are, how busy and creative, let's put it that way, how creative accountants are going to become. Wow. I yeah, it's um, it's a great idea to have. Um, you you know it, we're not being realistic if we don't think people are not going to hide money or hide assets. It's just the way it works. That's you know I'm not saying everybody's a crook, but 
pay. We well, this is this is exactly it, and this is one of the one of the issues generally with tax and it's and and the the, the accusation against most taxes is that um, many of them are optional and the and the very rich don't pay them because they've got advisors to try and work out how not to pay them, and so it really would depend on what the content of this um, tax proposal is, the, the kind of the legislation behind it, um, because if it's wealth that you own, all of a sudden most most rich people and rich families don't own a penny because it's all in trust or in companies or offshore or something like that. Well, that's not their, that's not their money. If you put some money in trust, it's not yours. And so you would, that, that money would then fall outside of a potential personal wealth tax. So um, it, it could well and fairly, um, as, as many taxes do in this country, uh, unfairly target those kind of, I'm going to call them the middle, but then, then they're perhaps not the, the high, high end of the middle class yeah, um, yeah, where where they're earning good money and they've got it all in because they've not got advisors to kind of shuffle it away somewhere else. But the very rich probably won't be affected because it's not really their money. It'll be corporate or or tra- trust or pension based. Um, and so there's there's a risk that this kind of um, charge isn't thought through properly. Let's put it that way. We know what the government's like. You know, it um, it doesn't necessarily at the moment seem to think things through properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, one comment I saw on LinkedIn, which I think is, is probably right, the government has a, a track record, this particular government has a bit of a track record for putting stuff into the press, like flying a kite, seeing how it's, seeing how it's taken by the, um, you know, the public. So it, there's an inevitability, it seems, that something like this will come in. It's just where, it, where it's pitched at, what level it's pitched at, um, and, uh, and that kind of thing. The, the only thing that I... Um, I think I, I, I think it's inevitable. I'm not sure that I agree with it, but it's inevitable. I'm not sure that I agree with the the the, um, the premise of a one-off corona pay, uh, coronavirus uh, payment tax. I think it should be treated much more like a, um, a, a, a the war bonds and paid over you know 40, 50 year period. Um, but it, it, as I as I was reading it, reading the articles about it, it seemed almost there was a um, there's a there's like a desperateness of the government to uh, to try and raise money, and all I could really think of then was um, was Greece um, uh, in 2016-17, I think it was, where um, the, the the Greek government basically started raiding people's bank accounts directly and taking money directly out of their bank accounts because, like, well, you you've been hiding it and you owe us, and so we're just going to steal it in effect. But it was legalized theft of uh, of people's money and. Um, I'm almost kind of getting that uh, that vibe from it, where it's like well, we need the money, and you know everyone's hiding it at the minute, um, and someone's got to pay it, and so we need to try and find ways to to try and pay it. I think one of the things is that you know uh, if it was a one-off, you know, Corona tax, I suppose, um, you know, would any of us really believe that um, that was going to happen? Um, because I, you know, was it income tax was uh, used to pay off the Napoleon Wars? That doesn't seem to have disappeared. Initial uh, temporary tax, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I think it's uh, it, it is one of those things that um, I think there's a news flash there, and the fact that we're still paying off the Napoleon War. I've got to be honest. Everybody keeps telling me it's World War Two, but no, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> we're still paying that off. Good God. <laughs> Yeah, apparently, um, uh, according to, uh, I guess, last week, I think it was Jamie, um, income tax is something that is still, it's still temporary. So it still has to be renewed every year in the, in the, um, in the tax acts. Um, because if it's not, then it's, it's, you know, kind of lapses. So we still renew it every year. So, 
not not actually a temporary tax. But we we, we know the same. You know, national insurance. You know, when it when it first came out, it was there to uh, effectively help the NHS, and um, and now it's just you know tax general tax. So yeah, the, the, there's there's been a history of kind of create a, uh, a you know a temporary tax, maybe turning it into a more permanent thing. And you can imagine that uh, that being the case, probably a bit more difficult with wealth because unless the wealth uh, aggregates and, and in, increases on a year by year basis, it penalises people that are just stationary and staying the same. That um, you know, if every year they have to pay if they're on five hundred thousand um, pound limit, for instance, and every year they have to pay five thousand pounds just for the benefit of that, they'll soon fall below that level because their you know their, their house prices or their stocks and shares aren't going up in that uh, that amount. I suppose the other problem is, you know, yes, you'll have your army of accountants trying to make sure you can avoid the tax. But, you know, presumably we'd need an army of HMRC officials trying to work out what people's wealth really was. Um, because, you know, they're very good at working out what our income is, what our profits are. I'm not sure they're that good at working out what our wealth is until actually we reach the end of our days and it becomes inheritance tax. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's it's fraught with difficulties. I don't know about HMRC at the moment. It looks like they're outsourcing debt recovery, for instance, um, even to some offshore companies in today's press they're talking about. So it may well be that it, it matters little. They just you just turn into uh, um, <laughs> vociferous debt collectors that just demand payment and, uh, and and threaten imprisonment and taking goods away if you don't pay. And maybe that's the way uh, in which we're moving <laughs> from a tax collection point of view. Don't know. Oh, great. Back in, back in the days of Robin of Sherwood. Fantastic. Pretty what much what it seems like. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much seems like that at the moment. They, they've said they, they've um, uh, they've sent out they sent out 800 letters last week um, that said, if you don't pay your tax, we're going to come and um, take goods away from your house. And um, which, you know, is 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 true. They could they can do that. They have the legal rights to be able to do that. But it doesn't quite fit with the picture of. Rushy standing up and saying, if anybody owes tax, like don't worry about it. We're going to kind of defer it and we'll work out a payment plan and we'll be okay. And so, you know. And as you that... pointed out, it's only a temporary tax, so I temporarily don't wish to pay it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you to argue that one. I'm not your lawyer on that occasion. Um, You're the solicitor. You can stand up in court and do it. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, moving on. One story that caught my eye this week um, was uh, was the chief executive of Salando, German uh, e-commerce um, company, saying that he was stepping down to allow his wife's career to flourish. Um, now, I asked, uh, as I do um, on social media, on LinkedIn, um, about this, what people's views were. And most people, most men that replied, actually, um, said that they would also do that. They'd happily step down and allow their wife's career to flourish but of course, it would depend on the finances. Um, I guess my question to you guys is, um, do you think this is something that we'll see more of? Um, or is this just lucky that this guy's, you know, been on six million quid for the, you know, the last six, seven years and has got nice share equity commission plans that allows him to do it? Um, Gavin, what do you think? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think he earned 6.8 million euros last year and 20 million euros the year before. So I, I, I have to wonder whether or not that makes your uh, judgment as to whether or not you're going to stay at home with the kids and uh, let the wife go out and flourish. 
probably that that you know he doesn't need to work, does he? Let's be honest, he, he, he's settled for life. Um, I mean, you know, in concept, yeah, everybody would want to support their partner uh, in whatever they want to do. Um, I think what is interesting with everybody working from home, you know, it probably gives us more capacity to uh, spread the workloads between us and you know decide what's important as a family. Um, certainly, we've made a number of changes, uh, changes in our household about what we, what we do and how we do it. So, you know, the lockdown has provided a lot of people with um, some interesting thoughts as to how they're going to change their lives moving forward, I think. There's an interesting survey a couple of weeks ago um, on working from home in, in, in families where mum and dad are both at home. Um, and the, um, the, the, the survey said that where both parents are at home, it is still the mum that does twice as many hours with the kids than the dad. That's an interesting stat. Mark, what do you think? Do you think, um, do you, think you can see a time where more, uh, you know, more men are stepping back from their career to allow you know, the, the, sort of the women to not only be equal, but you know, progress ahead of themselves? That's it, ask the single guy. Um, right. I didn't so, mention uh, a wife, I didn't mention a wife for a partner. <laughs> Um, and ask the single person. Um, yeah, do you know what? It's it, it's it's really odd because while we've been talking about it, my mind's gone back. You know, I'm what mid forties. My mind's gone back to uh, when I was a kid and sort of like in the late seventies and the and the eighties. And it was it was still deemed as okay if there was just one parent working in the family, and effectively. That's all that's happening here, is that one person's just stepping back, just allowing the other one to work, really. Um, I don't see a problem with it. I really don't. I mean, it's, it's probably got the headlines because the, the, there are so many woke people out there at the moment going, look, there's a man that's stepping back to allow a woman to flourish. This has been going on for years, to be perfectly honest. Some of the most high-profile uh, women in business, let's be fair, you know, there's been a man in the background somewhere doing something. I mean, for crying out loud, we've had two female prime ministers and, you know, if you hadn't seen them stood next to them on a step, you wouldn't even know they were married and they were sort of like doing day-to-day -day stuff. You know, obviously more recently, Theresa May, but then you had Dennis Thatcher. You know, I can't imagine Dennis Thatcher making much of a success of anything, but he was he was there, he was bumbling around and, you know, we had somebody running the country. So I just think it's a, it's a, a bit of a headline grabber um, and, uh, you know, people who are woke have sort of like piled into it and have gone, oh, this is great. It's been happening. It should be happening more often. But it's been happening for many, many years. And, you know, if you are in a you know, if you're in a relationship where you see your opposite number as a as an equal and, you know, they're, they're earning more money and they, they have the opportunity to grow their business, to grow themselves. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take that step back? And even if you haven't got the finance, I know it boils down to we're talking about six million quid and all that sort of stuff here. But actually, if you're if you're if you're a sensible person and especially in business and there, there is a risk that you might not have as much money uh, as you had previously, initially, you know, it, it then boils down to, you know, what do you see as wealth? You know, if you've got that opportunity to take that step back and 
spend more time with the kids and spend more time, you know, being that person that, that, that cooks the dinner and, uh, and, and does all the other sort of stuff that needs to be done in an environment of, of a relationship. Well, just go for it. Just, just really go for it. This just, it's just a headline grabber. Yeah, so it was an interesting, um, interesting story that, that made the headlines. It's an or unusual one to make the headlines, I guess, because in of itself, it's not really that much. It's not really news, is it? You know, no. man, man, man retires. Wealthy man retires. You know, wife starts job. Yeah, yeah, and 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 kind of, it's not much of a story at all. But it made you know, it's all all in every newspaper, all over websites, uh, etc. So they've they've done some good PR on it, Zalando. Um, for what personal gain, I, I don't know. I don't know why it was um, why it was there. But well, it says that he's got a great after dinner speech now. That that's pretty much it. And this is this is why I did this, and obviously then connecting with all the people that go, yeah, equality and all that sort of stuff. It's it, it is it is what it is. It, it, nothing's ever going to be equal. It's just it, it's it's all quite it's all quite random. And you know, whilst it has grabbed headlines, and it has you know for some people been a little bit inspirational you're right the pr people have absolutely gone to town on it and you're you're absolutely right boiling down to the, the story of rich bloke semi-retires so his partner could go and earn some money yeah, it, it'd be it'd be even worse though wouldn't it if, it if the story was rich guy retires forces his wife to work yes exactly <laughs> I mean, be... I mean, here's the thing would it have been a story had it been a gay couple, rich man steps back so other man can go and earn money. Mm. Probably not. Mm. Because it's a woman, that's it. It's, 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 it's headline grabbing. No, it's mm. not. Not at all. In the same way that I've just mentioned is that we've had, you know, there are high profile women in business. You don't see or hear anything about their husbands or, or their partners or anything like that. It's because actually they're quite happy to sit in the background. And so they've already been there, done that, got the T-shirt. You know, if somebody... If, if I had a partner and she want, she had a, a fantastic thriving business that, and she sort of like, you know, I had to put all the effort into family and, and all that sort of stuff to allow her to continue to go after her dreams. Hell yeah, you carry yeah. on. Yeah. I've got no issue with that. But it would also be my choice at the end of the day if I wanted to carry on working, if I wanted to do these things. So it, it's, it's a bit of a non-story. I don't, I don't quite understand the sensationalism behind it. Um, it's slightly different, but interesting. You picked up on two things, um, which was Theresa May and after dinner speeches. And um, there was another report out maybe last week um, about how much Theresa May charges for her after dinner speeches. And that is a line of work that you need to be in. She charges £150,000 for 20 minutes talking. But you see off the back of that then, Stephen, <laughs> somebody will then get a chart out and show you how much Tony Blair charges. And they'll go, it's unequal. No, it's just because Theresa May, May is a little bit dull. It's as simple as that. Blair made more mistakes that everybody's still talking about now, 10, 15 years on. Theresa May only went last year. Nobody cares. Gotta be honest, she didn't make many mistakes. She was just did a really weird robot dance once. That was it. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Perhaps people are paying for that. Like, yeah. We want you to come on for an after-dinner speech, but you will do the robot dance, won't you? You will. <laughs> Promise you'll do the dance. It's true. It's true. Yeah. I think maybe that's just an extra that she, you know, there's another 50 grand for the robot dance. It's yeah. 50 exactly. grand if you uh, put me some, next to some kids and I'll dance weirdly. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, fine. Um, another story that I'd like to talk about um, uh, is uh, Primark's chief executive. So he suggested that uh, retail needs a boost. A couple of things that he suggested was reducing business rates. We've talked about that on this podcast a number of times, um, particularly uh, as compared to warehousing rates. Um, extending Sunday opening times or relaxing the laws around Sunday opening times um, and, uh, and introducing... Uh, a week where everything is VAT free. Um, and then he's talking about maybe doing this kind of after the vaccines are kind of hit and we're all safe and um, uh, maybe Easter kind of time um, to get people to, you know, to encourage people to to go and use the high street and go and use the, you know, the shops. Um, so it wouldn't be online that, you know, they wouldn't get the benefits of, uh, of doing it. It literally is purely high street focused. Now, the question is this, is that a great idea for Primark that doesn't have an online store? <laughs> um, or is it something that actually would be beneficial for the whole retail high street? Mark? Um, yeah, I was just about to say that. You almost start with thunder. Really interesting that, the, that the, the guy that's come out and said that they've got no uh, online presence um, and therefore he wants a, a level playing field. Well, just imagine what might happen should a company come along and sell a t-shirt for two quid and can do it all online. Yeah. That's only a matter of time. And if he's sticking his head that far in the sand, he's, he's a little bit daft. Um, I think everything that's happened with the, with the, with the pandemic, et cetera, has, has accelerated the high streets decline far faster than anybody could see it. Uh, most experts were sort of saying within the next five years, well, guess what it happened in about six months. Um, the high street has got to go through a revolution, not an evolution. Um, encouraging us to spend more money on tat that we probably don't want is an initial hit to the economy, but won't last longer than a couple of months maximum. So again, we'll line somebody's pocket somewhere. Um, but after that, the, that initial hit of say a month, two months, it's gone, it's done, it's dusted. If we haven't got the money to spend on a two quid t-shirt now, we haven't got two quid to spend on, a, on two t-shirts now. Yeah. Either, simple yeah. as that. Um, I there there are questions. It comes back to our very first point: is that when you know we were talking about who in government is going to look at this from a business point of view and make a playing field level? Um, no one. Simple as that. There are so many different variables in here. Um, you know, does that you know has the high street completely changed forever? You know, are, are we as shoppers going to go back to stores? Um, there, I still believe there has to be a blend. Um, I, I, I wrote this week, I went into Leicester uh, on Monday and without hospitality, um, it doesn't matter what you do, injecting money into retail, going into the city centre or into any city centre where hospitality is currently closed, the city has lost its soul. There is nothing there. It, it was just the most random thing. It's Monday. Um, this is like zombie towns, isn't it? It's yeah, coming up to a few weeks before Christmas. There was no one there. It was horrible. It felt eerie. It felt terrible. Um, so it can't just be that off for, for retail. I think it's part of a much bigger problem. Again, there needs to be a strategy for retail. There needs to be somebody leading a strategy because it's only part of our GDP. It's only part of our, our, our economics in this country. 
you know um some of the big boys are collapsing there will be big there will be bigger companies that will go bump in january i am guaranteeing it mm. right now i'm not gonna say who they are but i know who they are and they are absolutely on a knife edge but all they're all they're doing is i think that there's a phrase that keeps being used on um, on social media we're really good in this country of just kicking the can down the road yeah if we you know do this temporary VAT off, great, happens for a month, happens for two months. What happens after that? Nobody's coming up with a solution. Nobody's coming up with plans, but there needs to be something stronger that comes out than just somebody say, well, you know, give us some more money off us having a premises in a city centre compared to somebody in an out of town. Because it's very easy to turn a warehouse into a shop. I'm just saying, it's just as easy and it's not very difficult. Mm. Gavin, what do you think? Do you think, um, you know, having a, a VAT-free week would would help? Or is it, like Mark said, just a temporary measure that really doesn't have much impact? Yeah, I, I'm sort of thinking back to when we all uh, were uh, eating out to help out and, and, you know, the notion of shopping out to help out. I, 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 I just don't see it's going to be its work. I mean, I, I totally agree with Mark. You know, if I'm going to go out somewhere at a weekend, and, you know, I'm looking for somewhere which is a destination. It's got to have a mix of activities, whether that's you know going to a park for a walk or you know going somewhere where it might have a cinema and a restaurant and some shops. It, it, it's no longer you know wandering into a town centre. Um, and and so for me, the the notion of just reducing uh, rates or VAT is it's just short term. It's it's not going to work. It, you know, the high street has changed. Will change. Um, forever, I think. Um, I mean, it was interesting to see that um, the, the old Devnum store is going to be changed into flats. Yeah. So, you know, will we see more and more of that um, happening moving forward? Um, I, that seems inevitable to me that you've got to repurpose these buildings into bringing people back into the towns. It's, it's strange you mentioned that. I, I've always said that over the last, I mean, when I've been on the podcast before, I've said about office space in city centres um you know people not using offices as much um and i've always sort of like said look there's that vacant space and then this thing came up about debenhams where they're going to turn it into flats and things like that and it was really interesting that on monday this particular experience that i had walking into the city where it was absolutely dead now on the way home i was doing a massive massive walk that day i chose to get to and for those who aren't in leicester i apologize about this but for those in leicester i went to, i chose to go up to Victoria Park and up a road called Queen's Road, which is just off Victoria Park. And um, it's a bit of a hipster place. I'll grant you that. However, it's surrounded by a lot of residential housing, student housing, flats, etc. And do you know what? It was buzzing. Even with restaurants closed down, okay, and some outlets closed and pubs closed down, it was still, and this was a, uh, half four in the afternoon, and it was pitch black. It was buzzing. There were, you know, people going into fruit and veg shops. There were people sort of like, you know, getting to, uh, getting little takeaways. People going into, you know, jewelry shops, things like that. Getting the heck. It was really, really buzzing. And for that area, it had become a destination. So, Gavin, I absolutely, totally agree with you in the fact that our city centres are going to have to become destination places. You know, we have a massive housing crisis in this country. Yeah, 
our, our high streets have been decimated by shops being closed and landlords being way too greedy. Guess what? Our, the, some of the solution to our housing problem is in our city centres, because for some reason, 10 years ago, we decided to move most retail outlets to the outside of the cities on these great big parks. So guess what? We're going to have to move people somewhere. If we're not going to build houses on those parks anymore, we're going to have to get people back into the city centres, make them destination places, make them somewhere vibrant, somewhere enthusiastic to go. Make me want to go into a city centre and go and spend my money, go and spend my time and go and have, you know, go look around the shops, go temping bowling, go to the cinema, things like that. We Places are starting to do it. Shopping centre in the city centre is an is 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 a, a point in case. You know we've got showcase cinema, and then we've got a casino right opposite that. But all the places around it are all eateries, that and they're big name eateries as well. That have half of them have folded in the last twelve months. So they've got these empty places they're charging sky high rents for because they're not seeing a bigger picture of going. Do you know what? Let's get the community back in here. Let's half the size of these units. Let's have local people having local restaurants and bring them in so that we can gain that community. So we become a destination where people want to go. Again, another part of political broadcast on behalf of me. I do apologise. Right, I think I think there's some um, there's some truth in that. And if you've ever been, if you've been to any other city uh, in the UK, they're the same. They're all the same. And and that's it. It, it no longer makes you know somebody go. I don't know, they live in Cardiff and go, do you know what? I really want to go to Leicester as a city. And people go to, Bur- uh, to, to to London, perhaps, is the only kind of attraction city, Manchester, to some extent. Um, but everyone else, every other city, same shops, same situation, same restaurants. You know, Absolutely. And-, and you wouldn't see it, and you don't see it abroad, you don't see it in Europe. Yeah. And the, 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 the city, that's, well, two cities that have popped into my head about it is Barcelona and Paris. And it's almost like they have communities within the city, yeah? So that it actually sort of like you could go from one street to on one side of the city to another street on another side of the city, and it's completely different. The vibe is different, the feel is different, the shops are different, the restaurants are different, the bars are different, everything's different. We've we've become very, very good at sucking up to big corporates in this country or big, big businesses, but they're the ones that are folding. You know, they're, they're, you know, you look at Jamie Oliver's restaurants, a really good idea, but actually the corporates got involved. And do you know what? We'll basically copy and paste and we'll, it's a great way of making money and we'll stick it, we'll stick it all the way, all the way around. There's no uh, individualism. And I think that's, you know, it's a great opportunity right now for our high streets and our cities to go, do you know what? No, no more. Yes, we need some of these big businesses. However, we want, individuals we want successful people that will come in run their own restaurant run their own shop run their own amusements whatever come in and do it do something different and make a really big deal out of it but give them the opportunity to have some of the primer sites so that they can grow so that they can make success out of it and therefore the bigger picture would be to make that city a destination place to go to does that does that not start with something like business rates, though, because that's off-putting for most, particularly small businesses. You know, they might be able to kind of afford the rent on somewhere. But yeah, it goes back to it goes back to leadership. It goes back to 
you know, who can we trust to be in charge and go, okay, this is the plan. This is the strategy. This is what we're going to do. Not just in, you know, just, just the high street, but business in general. This is the plan. This is a strategy rather than just going pretty much central government. This is what you do. This is what we have to do. And then somebody who's never run a business in their life just going, well, okay, well, I've got to distribute, find this money from somewhere. So these are the rates. This is how it's going to work. And then you've got the shopping centers that are going to get involved go, well, we can't let this space go for less than, you know, 200 pounds per square foot. No, you can, because actually it's bloody empty at the moment. So actually the smartest thing to do is to actually allow pop-up shops, is to allow pop-up restaurants in those spaces to see whether they work and then negotiate going, do you know what? That restaurant in that space, which has been dead for six months, they're bringing in 10,000 pounds a week. Brilliant, excellent. Do you know what? Let's do them a deal. Let's see what we can do. Let's see how we can help their business because it's good for us, it's great for them, and it's great for the whole town and the whole city. It's so much short-termism. It's so much narrow thinking. It's never big picture thinking. And the, the way out of this entire mess, it's a massive wake-up call, is that for the first time in decades, I look at this and see it as a massive opportunity. If somebody wants to take the bull by the horns, there is a massive opportunity for small business and business in general in this country to get its individualism, to get its innovation going, and to really, really make Britain just a great place to be. Excellent stuff. Um, is there anything that, uh, that caught your attention this week? Any other stories that you think we should touch upon before we close up? The, the, the one thing I noticed, um, obviously, at the beginning of the week, we, we had the news about the vaccine and the first person to get it uh, was uh, a lady in Coventry called Margaret Keenan. Um, mm. we, well, obviously, we all need to remember that because it will be a quiz question for the next sort of 10, 15 years. Yeah. Um, but behind that story, I noticed that this, the second person to get the jab was a chap called William Shakespeare, who lives in Warwickshire. And I, I just, I want to know why w William Shakespeare wasn't the first person to get that jab. Because that, for me, that would have been a story that would have gone round the world instantly. Um, you know, I, th I, I think it did. I think it. I think the story did kind of go around the world. I, I certainly saw some of it on Twitter and and they're picking it up in the US. But yeah, they, they, it's and and lots of puns um, that uh, that came from it using uh, William Shakespeare quotes and such like that. We won't repeat because we won't uh, you know fall to that level of humour. Unbelievably low, um, but. Uh, um, yeah, uh, it it did, but yeah, who's making that decision to uh, to to not promote William Shakespeare as the first person? William Shakespeare from Warwickshire as well. It might as well have made him uh, the first person on the list, mind you. Well, that's it. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for joining me again on this week's Business Herald podcast. And to you listening at home, thanks very much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show and found it interesting. I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on your podcast website. Subscribe to the mailing list at www.businessherald.co.uk and engage with us. Let us know your thoughts and opinions on the topics we've discussed this week. We're on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook at The Business Herald. Thanks very much for listening again and we'll see you soon next week, next Friday. Thanks and goodbye.
So yeah, much a flew about nothing. Is this a needle which I see before me? The taming of the flu. Two gentlemen of Corona. Uh, if if Miss Keenan, the first patient, was patient 1A, was William Shakespeare patient 2B or not to be? Um, but look, overall, I'm surprised that they let William Shakespeare have the vaccine because I thought he was barred. <laughs> 